This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week TV podcast. Joining me, as always, Andrew Mercado. Welcome back, Andrew. Hi, James. A um, lot of interesting stuff. We'll start with a few things that uh, you write about in your column in Media Week today, if you like. Um, the big topic, I guess, is uh, Freeman, the doco coming on um, Sunday night. If, if you listen to this podcast probably after Sunday, you're able to get on iView, of course. Yeah, this is the documentary about Kathy Freeman and uh, it tells uh, her story leading up to the Sydney Olympics 20 years ago, lighting the Olympic cauldron, um, her 400-metre gold medal winning race. Um, It's interesting the way they make this doco, James, because it's not just a straight talking heads. I mean, there's people in there being interviewed, but you're just hearing their voices a lot of the time. And sometimes you're looking at images of a dancer from the Bangara Dance Theatre doing a kind of an interpretive athletic type slash dance and kind of shots of Kathy Freeman by herself kind of musing about it all while her voice is going on the background. So no direct her sitting down talking about it. It's kind of like thoughts and just the way they've made the pop up was really interesting and it only goes for an hour too so absolutely must see yeah and have they got all the footage from the um the the big race and the, the game yes. yes absolutely it's all there and i guess that's not cheap is it to get official olympic race footage and all that stuff but it has to be there um it's the only way to tell the story right sure yeah yeah um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. It was uh, made by, I think, in partnership between Matchbox Pictures and yep. a small indie uh, Melbourne production house. Yeah. Which is quite interesting. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see who came up with the idea of kind of setting it to dance and, and doing that. Whatever. They've done a really nice job with it. Well done. Yeah, yeah. And I see that uh, NBCU are selling this program internationally. I've got... Right. I guess the connection there is I think they own Matchbox Pictures. Yeah. The major shareholder, so they, they get the rights as part of that deal. Yep, good one. Now, also, what you mentioned you talk about today is our Top Sampson's body hack. Is yeah. That, uh, is this the third time round for this? Oh, look, I think it's even more than that. It could be season four. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of this show, you know. It's, it's, it's not something that gets thrown together. There's so much work that goes into every episode and he sort of has to, you know, really immerse himself into these worlds that he explores. And this first episode, when it first started, it's kind of demolition derby. I was like going, oh, God, really? I don't care about this. But he's always got a way of kind of saying, no, 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 but let's look at the physiological side of this about getting hit uh, in a car repeatedly, what does that do to your brain? And, you know, it just is so interesting um, to draw you in on a subject that I'm not interested in, which is demolition derby. Um, he makes it interesting and he also does a bit of land speed racing there too. So uh, body hack back on 10, not a cheap show to make and I don't know when we're going to get new episodes because I'm sure COVID has uh, restricted him a bit, but thumbs up. Yeah, I mean, he's very believable, isn't he, in a in a format that could be cheap and nasty in some people's hands, the way that Todd Sampson uh, carries this off, it's uh, very well done. And you, you really buy in to the different challenges he undertakes. Yes, you certainly do. Yeah. 
also in your column this week and you say good things about it is season two of The Split, the uh, UK drama about a uh, family law business. We know so many people spoke to me about the first season of The Split, what a great show it was and how much they were loving it. And I never really did get around to watching it. But, you know, I just dived straight into season two and totally picked it up because British dramas like this are so well written, you know. It it doesn't take you long at all to understand, oh, yeah, I understand why people like this. The Brits just have this wonderful way of making family dramas and, you know having the mothers and the fathers and all the kids and, you know, young kids in the cast as well, often teenagers, and they just make all of that really interesting and it's never overdone, but the characters you warm to and are believable. And, you know, I just take my hat off for the Brits for making family dramas that are always so damn good to watch. Yeah, this is a cracker. I really enjoyed it. I've watched the first episode. Uh, I think a lot of people are fans of Nicola Walker. Yeah. And she does. And it's a, it's a bit of a festival of Nicola Walker at the moment. It's Saturday yeah. nights because we've just finished uh, Halifax. Yes. Um, and she's one of the stars of that, of course. And now this goes straight into uh, the split for the next six weeks. True. Very true. Um, you talk about, um, well, you, you, I don't know if you mentioned it then, you talk about in your column the relationship between her and her husband played by Stephen Mangan. Yeah. The and they're going through some dramas. Um, I think he had an affair in the first season. I think so. That's what I've picked up. And she's having one in the second season. And yeah. In that first episode and he's not awake yet that she's having an affair, although there's one scene in that first episode, I think, She's working back late. She rings and says, look, I've decided to stop by the gym on the way home, which seems a little bit unbelievable as far as her character goes anyway. But then he comes across some of her gym gear sitting in the house and yeah. look, oh, that's a bit odd. <laughs> and then they're in bed together and um, she's very cold towards him um, and he sort of and he refers back to the first series and he says to her, look, you ever going to forgive me, you know, and... Um, and then that puts her in a difficult position. She's just thinking, well, you know, well, I'm, I'm actually not. But then again, I, you know, I'm, I've gone off on a different tangent myself. So it's um, then there's the undercurrent of the whole business and there's the, uh, which are, it's a little bit odd, the sort of the celebrity couple that come in and this she's deciding she wants to get a divorce and they're sort of, and that's a whole other undercurrent that, that develops through this season. And I found that really interesting, you know, that uh, celebrity that comes to her to look at the prenup agreement yeah. and then you uh, see something that they have set up for the paparazzi uh, and the way that they deal with something and you just go, oh, you guys are playing a dangerous game there. You know, it's all very well to set up shots for the paparazzi when you think you're in control and they're the first ones to scream blue murder though when the press turns on them. So, yeah, it's a really interesting look at celebrity and that very strange relationship some of them have with the press. Yeah. And it's always great watching something like this, you know, at a time when no one's allowed any international travel to, to see these shots of people working in London and just the, um, yeah. the, the locality and all that. It's, all, it's just nice to see. Um, okay, what else is on the board? The um, Something coming up or something that's already on at the moment is uh, further back in time for dinner. Yeah. I haven't actually watched any of this yet. Is it any good? 
Oh, James, it's so great. You know, they were, they were watching it on Gogglebox last night and absolutely squealing um, <laughs> at some of the stuff that had to be cooked up and served for dinner in 1900. I, I just think this is such a well-made show and, you know, I just sit there with a smile on my face from beginning to end. It's, you know, it's almost the definition of feel good, um, you know, and it's, it's just one of those shows I sit there, I watch it live on a Tuesday night and uh, I think the ABC have done so well finding that um, Farone family to do it. They were so great in the first series and, you know, they've come back and it's, there are three kids. The eldest son's a bit of a nerd, so he loves all the history side of things. Uh, one daughter's, you know, a little bit of a princess. She doesn't like the uh, gross food that she has to cook, um, let alone eat. And then there's the, uh, the youngest daughter who's just a delight. Further back in time for dinner, grade A, fantastic. So Sanibel Crabb, of course, is she actually in the show much? Yeah, she does. She always comes and visits every episode. And quite often she brings uh, somebody to deliver some more history of the era. So always well used in the show. Yeah, and it's um, this is part of an overhaul the ABC's given Tuesday nights, I guess. There was the Sean McAuliffe season um, about um, booze. I can't remember what it was. On called. the source. On the source. And or, then as the Daily, or as the Daily Telegraph called it, uh, the anti-drinking ABC. <laughs> you know, trying to make you feel guilty about having a drink. It's like, did you guys watch the show? It was fantastic. Mm. And then the other one um, that they did well with on Tuesday nights was uh, Craig Rucastle's The Fight for Planet A. Again, uh, which was fantastic. All those shows have been really, really good. Yeah. So it's always been a bit of a challenge for them to get an audience on Tuesdays with yeah. what they had been doing. So th this has worked really well and I guess they might try and keep this theme going next year with some specially commissioned sort of factual programming. Well, it's, it's actually going to be quite crowded uh, when you think about it now because you've now got... Further back in time on ABC, Todd Sampson's Body Hack on Channel 10 and you've still got Halifax Retribution on Channel 9, you know, all kind of around the same time slot. I don't know what's on 7 on a Tuesday night but it's, uh, it's not coming to mind. But, yeah, though, there's a real uh, time slot tussle there. Yeah, I think the Plate of Origins running Tuesdays. I'm pretty sure there's three episodes a week of uh, Plate of Origin. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there is, in fact. So, yeah, that's... Um, so, lots of Aussie content, which is good anyway. Yeah. I, I thought I might just mention Plate of Origin too. I think you dismissed it in a column a couple of weeks ago. It, it's certain I haven't been able to buy into it. It's just something about it which just, I don't know, it just doesn't have a, as welcoming a feel as something like MasterChef when, you know, Gary and... Um, Gary and Matt were together on MasterChef. Yeah. To me, it looks more of a... I don't know, a, a, um, a format that's just been created artificially somehow? I think that's exactly what's wrong with the show. It feels like the show exists because there was an opportunity to grab those guys because they'd left 10 and then they've just kind of thrown a, a show around it and it does feel artificial and thrown together and it feels like just a pastiche of every cookie show, cooking show you've seen before, but then shoehorning Manu into what was a MasterChef group because George Columbaris is now sent to Coventry because of um, issues with his restaurants and wages and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's, you know, sometimes you can throw that stuff and it works, but a lot of times it just lands all over the floor in different places and that, there's nothing that sticks it all together. It's just a bit of a mess. 
I wanted to mention, mention a series that's coming to nine starting Wednesday night, um, I think September 16. It's the, it's the Wednesday after we record this anyway. And it's going to be 10 episodes which will, which will take the, um, the network through till the end of ratings year on, with their Wednesday night. Um, it, it's on, on air after the block. That's Australian Crime Stories. Oh, yeah. Season four. Now, this is easily the best work that the, uh, the production house, the full box, have done. Um, so this uh, season four, it's usually often been on on a Sunday night, late on a Sunday night. Yeah, like after 60 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's where season three sat. Um, and uh, the, the, the production team is uh, Jerry Coy and um, her partner, Brian Cockrell. And, gee, they, they do some really great work on this and that's, Ten. I've, I've actually sat through five of the, um, the the ten episodes. I did them all back to back one afternoon this week. It's just I was just really compelling stuff. Um, it covers some some big names like Roger Rogerson, who everybody will know that uh, that reasonably recent case where him and another former a copper Glenn McNamara were accused of killing a um, a young I think Chinese guy called um, Jamie Gao. Yeah, it was a crime. It was the most filmed crime ever when it was virtually all ca- captured on uh, CCTV. As I, the, it actually happened at a um, storage facility, I think at Padstow, and yeah. there's CCTV footage of them arriving, of them all going into the, um, the lockup, and only two of them leaving, the third person coming out in a bloody surfboard bag being put into the back of a car. Yeah, it's incredible, you know. So it's um, it details this whole episode. Um, attached to this was the amazing um, thing when um, Rogerson was arrested at his home, virtually live on TV, because there were camera crews staking out the place because they knew something was happening, and they were all in. They were actually even in the front yard of his house, and so they're sort of they're all interviewing Rogerson as the cops take him out of the house, put him in the car, and drive off. Wow. So, and there's, there's, an, there's another, now you'd be really interested in this one. There's an episode called The Money or the Bomb. Now, this is about a, uh, back in the 70s, there was a, um, a, a bomb threat for a Qantas jet. I think it was a 747 that had taken off on its way to London, right? And somebody said, look, we've, we've put a bomb on board um, we want half a million dollars or, our, or else the bomb will go off. If you give us the money, we'll tell you how to defuse the bomb. Anyway, and it, it turned out they actually gave the money over and then the guy revealed there wasn't any bomb on the plane. Oh. So it was, in fact, a hoax. But, they, um, they, at, but in the meantime, that Scott Hicks actually made a movie about this uh, it's a little seen film, but Chris Haywood plays the bomber called Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown. Well, yeah, I do remember this as a kid. This was big front page headline news. Same, yeah. I, I knew Mr. Brown rang a bell, but I couldn't remember yeah. any details. Yeah. So I think this is the second episode of this season. Right. I think when this goes to where, I think this is going to create some waves and people will start, wow. A lot of people have forgotten that Qantas was involved in this massive bomb hoax. Because he was never caught? Is that why you think it'll stir up interest again? 
I'm going to give away a plot spoiler here. It's <laughs> yeah, look, I won't go into that. But I think it'll throw up interest because of plane safety. And yeah. Qantas was always very adamant. Look, the first thing they cared about was the safety of the passengers, which is why they handed over the money. But the way it all happened, it was very... This guy drove up in a bright green combi outside Qantas's head office in Sydney. The man, then managing director of Qantas has the money in his suitcase, goes downstairs, gives him the money, and the bloke drives off. There's no cops there watching. There's no cops following this guy. That sort of explained why not in the film. But well, it was certainly a different time in the 70s, but it's... Yeah. But it's really amazing, and the, the the producers Brian and Jerry, uh, they interview Scott Hicks, which is fascinating in itself, and he talks about what happened and and in the end why the film has hardly been seen since he made it, and um, it's just fascinating. There's some of the interviews they've got a guy called John uh, Ulm, who was a former um, head of sort of communications at Qantas during all this time. He's a guy. He's actually 98. But he's, he still looks pretty good and he gives a great interview. But he was also a fighter pilot in World War Two. They've got a reporter, a lot of guys, a lot of people will remember, called Alan Hogan, who worked for a long time at the ABC and Channel 9. He was a reporter back in the day. And it's just, to me, it was the most fascinating of all these episodes. I'll quickly tell you, a couple, there's an, also an episode on um, the whole Lawyer X saga. And yeah. that... That does a great job of explaining uh, in simple terms about what happened, uh, the ramifications and still some of the things that have got to play out. There's a, another really interesting one that I think this, you really find this intriguing. There was a, um, a famous Sydney fashion, well, not, she was actually a wallpaper designer called Florence Broadhurst. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and uh, she'd made a name for herself in different things all around the world. Yep. She was an Australian. She came back to Sydney and she yep. became the sort of the toast of Eastern suburb society, if you like, and did some really great work as a designer. Anyway, she was mysteriously murdered during her 70s at her warehouse in Paddington. Mm. Now, this is a case that's never been solved. Wow. So they delve into this one. It's just amazing. Then the last one of the five I've seen is called Bodies of Evidence. It's about a, it's set in South Australia. It's about the guy who was uh, South Australia's forensic pathologist for 27 years. And it details some of the cases that there's lots of questions about how he sort of investigated them. And it turns out there's a lot of doubt about whether this guy should have been given the job anyway. Wow. Because he did he ever really have the correct qualifications? Now, this is a guy who was in the role for 27 years. He's still alive, by the way, in South Australia. He did something like 10,000 autopsies and um, on 400 separate, uh, sort of investigated 400 different cases. It's, it's just a fascinating story. Um, so look, I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy this season of Australian crime stories. And a lot of people know the Florence Broadhurst story because Gillian Armstrong made a movie about her and that led to a big rise in sales of her designs which are now out there on bed sheets and linen and all that sort of stuff. Sure, yeah, yeah. And so, some of the people they talk to in that uh, Florence Broadhurst thing, there's a, um, 
And that's one of the highlights of this whole season. That they've really gone the extra yard in tracking people down who are involved in these cases and talking to them today. Now, in the, the um, Florence Broadhurst one, they found the Paddington policeman who discovered the body and he's just, he's just gold. He's, he's just, his interview is just amazing. Now, during the police investigation, he was never, the, the detectives who took over the case never uh, quizzed him about finding the body. It's just amazing. Wow. And, and this all happened, can you believe it? This Paddington copper was his first day on the job. <laughs> uh, just incredible. Uh, but it's just, it's just some great stuff in all these episodes. Yeah. Um, Carl Stefanovic actually pops up in the um, the South Australian one about the pathologist down there because I think he was the last person to um, interview this guy at depth and he sort of, like, he, he catches him out. It was a story for 60 minutes, I think probably about six or seven years ago and it's as far as the uh, Dr Colin Manick is concerned, it was a really bad interview and this guy's gone to ground ever since. He, he hasn't come back out and den, done any other interviews. Oh. They, they've got some highlights of Carl's interview and then they speak to Carl just recently and, and as Carl recalls the case. Yeah, wow. It's really good stuff. While we're talking about crime, I might mention a series, a series I've been watching called Traces. It's a, um, it's a Scottish uh, crime drama um, actually set in and around Dundee in Scotland. Now, I can't remember seeing any other series set in Dundee, but it looks like a lovely place and there's lots of nice aerial shots of the town. It's a reasonably grisly story, but it's um, the thing that interests me. It's got Martin Comston, who was the, the younger cop in all the Line of Duty series. So he's sort of one of the main stars of this and also a young woman called Laura Fraser, who's actually Scottish, but she um, had pretty major role in Breaking Bad and then Better Call Saul. Oh, okay. And yeah. tell me, where do you watch it? It's on uh, Foxtel. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, it's I'm on Foxtel on demand, so I'm not sure what channel it was on originally, but it, yeah. it doesn't really matter with the way Foxtel set up now, so you just go and search for it in on demand and, and it'll come up. Yeah. Uh, it's about six episodes. It's... Uh, based on an original idea by um, British, uh, Scottish crime writer Val McDermott, who's just a, a real legend in, in, in British crime. She's got about 30 novels. She's actually got a small cameo as a crime reporter in this, but it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. I'm not quite to the end yet, but it's, uh, it's, it's kept me pretty gripped. Yep, good. Have you finished uh, The Salisbury Poisonings yet? It's still on my list. I've started watching it and I've got to finish it. You know, I loved it so much, those first couple of episodes. Oh, mate, I tell you, that is so good. And you're really going to be, you're going to be really moved when you get to the end as well. Right. The, I, I thought it'd be okay. I didn't realise how sucked in I would get. It's just, you know, well, because most people know the story generally. Yeah. But you don't know the actual detail and the... Well, this is exactly the thing. As soon as I watched those first episodes, it was like we, we knew this much of the story, but there was so much more of the story behind the scenes that it does actually blow your mind to think that something that seemed so little could have been so catastrophic. Yeah, and, and just the impact it had on these people that, that lived in Salisbury. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and they're thrust into this incredible um, what they have to go through and what what they've been through and what they still need to go through. I, yeah. I won't give it. It's not really a spoiler, but I won't say what happens. But you've you've got to stay till the very end of the credits. I'll just say that. All right. Last episode. Now, it was, I was surprised to see it was actually three episodes in the UK, but the international version was four. Yeah. But anyway, so watch the credits. And the, I was nearly in tears. Wow. <laughs> That's just, what they do is just so special. Um, and, and I won't spoil it, but... I'm going to make a note, watch <laughs> it to the end of the credits. Yeah. But it, it really makes everything you've sat through all that more... Um, worthwhile yeah. with how they end that fourth episode. Yeah. It's just absolutely brilliant. It's, um, and it's been v- doing very well on Bevod for uh, SBS On Demand. It's Good. easily their most watched show on their on-demand platform. All four episodes have been doing really good business. Wow. So that's good word of mouth then? Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. It's just sitting yeah. up a tree. And one more little thing on crime. Um, I only saw this last weekend. I saw a photo of David Tennant in his next role. And I thought, that, that's interesting. When he takes on a character, he really gets into that. He really lives that character. Now, he's playing a serial killer called Dennis Nielsen. And it's an ITV series. And, wow, does he look pretty freaky, you know? And it just, I just saw that one photo and thought, wow, this series will be amazing. And you can just tell from the way that um, Tennant has taken on this person and, and it'd have to be pretty bad for it not to work. Yeah. Uh, it's on ITV. It starts in a few days in the UK and guess what? It starts in a few days here on Stan as well. Oh, wow, okay. So they're going to show it day and date with, yeah. the, um, with what's happened in the UK. So what's it called? It's just called Des. Yes, okay. D-E-S. So watch out for that on Stan. Yeah. I think they've already got it up on the Stan uh, platform, you know, telling you to watch out for it and they have the actual date that it's on. Yeah. It's, um, it's been annoying me. We had to wait a little while for the Salisbury poisonings, which were on quite earlier this year. Uh, and also I think the split that we talked about before, it's been it's a good six months. Since in the UK in February. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's um, there's still some delays in what's what's um, coming up. There's not a lot more that I, I really had on my menu to talk about it. The Lifetime Movie Network has been launched on Foxtel. It's sort of interesting. It's basically made for TV movies. You know, there's not, but there's a made for TV movies that are kind of. What's the word that I would describe them at? It's not Mills and Boone, but it's kind of, it's it's kind of, they're, they're kind of romance-based, but always a sort of a kind of a, what, a whiff of scandal to it? How would you describe the genre of their movies? It's very, it's very female skewing. It is. Um, yeah. Romance. Stuff you wouldn't be surprised to see on daytime TV, maybe. You know. Like the midday movie on Channel 7, My Stepdaughter is a Stripper, stuff like that sort exactly. of. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But, but that sort of undervalues it in a little way. I mean, some of the things that are interesting, like Liz and Dick, which has been on here before, Yeah. which is about Elizabeth Taylor, with uh, Lindsay Lohan, of all people, playing Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. And, um, uh, and doing a terrible job just quietly. <laughs> 
Yeah, but that in itself is almost a reason to watch. Correct. Brent Bowler plays. Bowler playing Richard Burton. Well, yeah. you could say that's maybe a pretty, you know, um, imaginative um, casting, you know, but it's it's really worth watching. Something I want to see is called Cocaine Godmother with um, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Oh, yes, yes. Playing this um, this drug lord, you know, a, a Miami-based sort of cocaine dealer. Yeah. Again, that's something I really want to see. Look, it's not going to be there much for a lot of people, but there are there are sort of standout things if and really some interesting castings that, that sort of tweak the imagination. Anyway, that's, a, that's up and running on Foxtel at the moment. Yeah, and when, when it gets to December, they'll be able to do nothing but Christmas movies. I think Lifetime are <laughs> well known for doing the old Christmas romance movie and a, okay. and a sequel if they can get one too. Sure, sure. Um, I just wanted to mention this season of The Block. Uh, the numbers have been down a little bit, you know, which which isn't surprising. I think it's partly because of the, the move to on-demand viewing, you know. the A lot of people now, I think, are, and I'm certainly doing it more myself, I never really used to go to nine now or seven plus a lot. I'd maybe record the show or um, or just try and watch it live. Yeah, well, I'm starting to get into the habit now of just tracking things down and watching them on demand. Um, the the one annoying thing a little bit is still the way ads are inserted into some of these shows. There's a real, there's actually a real issue there, James, because um, I'm with you. I'm watching a lot more of these free to air catch up sites. You know, you don't have to worry so much about setting the IQ or, as I used to call it, setting the video back in the day. You miss something, you know you can catch up. But you're right, those ads. And, you know, I've been doing this from overseas for a long time and there's a, this is a common problem and it's something to do with the bandwidth or the quality of the ads. But one ad will play and the picture will be really rubbish. Well, that doesn't matter. It's just an ad. But then the next play with that will, uh, will play, the next ad, and it will be at ear-splitting volume. So, you know, I've got the remote control next to my hand. The moment those uh, FDA catch-up sites go to an ad, I hit that mute button because I don't want that you know, screaming audio coming out at me. And so, you know, there's a way to do it, and, but I imagine it costs money because I've been watching Channel 4's catch-up site for a long time and he used to do it once upon a time and it doesn't do it now. So uh, we'll, have, we'll, we'll need those sites to maybe become a little bit more popular maybe for the networks to do what they've got to do to not make those ad breaks so intrusive. And that's a quality issue, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. And the, um, the repetitiveness of some of the ads just drives you mad, you know. Like, they play twice in a row, don't they? Oh, yeah. I've been watching uh, Liar on 7 Plus, the second season of Liar with uh, Joanne Froggett. It, look, it's not as good as the first season. But that's almost a separate issue. Um, but it's, I'm still finding it interesting, worth watching. But there's an Apple, as an ad for, uh, I think, the Apple, the iPhone. And Jesus, it's on every ad break. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's even on twice. Yeah. Some breaks. It just yeah, happening all the time too. It's just it's enough to make me really think twice about using their on demand platform. Yeah. And saying, look, I've got to record this and then fast forward the ads. Because yeah. it 
Just, yeah, exactly. Because you can still fast forward a recording, but you can't do that on a catch-up side. But yeah. you know what? You can mute the sound, and that's my first tip, James. Okay. Mute it and have some silence through the break. We'll get you through to the start of the show. Yeah, what I do like is the countdown, so you know how long you've got to go till you're back with the show, which is obviously there is an incentive to stop you going away because if it's just a minute, it's not too bad. The interruption's not too bad, you know, unsettling, um, and you can sort of wait that out. But anyway, look, I was talking about the block, wasn't I? The, the numbers are down a little bit. Um, look, it's still a very sort of Anglo-y white cast, um, that's one of the criticisms with the block. I guess the producers are maybe, I'll say the word stuck, but I don't mean stuck, but they they can only use the people who applied to go on the show, I guess. So, you know, um, so I, I'll give them that. But, but this season we've got some really interesting couples, Daniel and Jade, Sarah and George, Harry and Tash, Luke and Jasmine. There's some ethnicity in some of their backgrounds, so so that that's good to see, I guess. But... The people are really dominating so far as a, a young couple called Jimmy and Tam. And, gee, they've won everything so far. They, they're, they're really on top of it. So um, so much so that the hosts, um, Shelley and Scotty Cam, this week were going around motivating the other teams to try and look, say, look, don't worry, look, this, you know, the other, this, the Jimmy and Tam aren't infallible. They're not necessarily going to win out everything, so don't give up. You know, just stay positive and you'll do okay. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. The special thing about this season, I guess, is the five homes they've relocated onto one block in suburban Brighton in Melbourne. Look, they're all very close together, these homes. So they're, you know, they're, but I think once they take down all the scaffolding and all that, it won't look quite so bad. And I guess if you're in suburbia, you're in suburbia. So you're maybe used to living close to somebody. But it's a, it's a very prestige suburb you're in, so we expect they will um, attract some fairly good sort of money when they're sold. But the interesting thing will be how will they sell these houses? Because if Melbourne's still in lockdown, they won't be able to have the open for inspections with everybody going through. So it's going to be all a, a virtual inspection and there possibly be virtual auctions. We won't be able to have people on site. So there's a fair bit to play out. And I, I spoke to um, the producers about this the week the series started. They weren't too concerned about the challenges they might have at the end when they have to sell the properties. And one of them said to me, look, if, um, if we still can't have people gathering at the end of November, there's going to be more problems in Melbourne other than how we, you know, finish off the block. So it was great that they have that perspective, you know, there's... There's a lot more things to worry about out there than how we're going to end this TV season. And the, the places will still sell. I mean, compared to every other property on the market, this one's got, you know, how many hours of prime time coverage on the property? I mean, yeah. those, those inspections always look to me like 99% of the people are there because they're fans of the show. Sure. I'm sure there was a way to find out if you're really serious about buying this house and you're prepared to plunk down a cash deposit or something like that to do some, you know... Uh, private inspections if they really needed to. Yeah. And I should mention too, I guess, uh, talking of COVID impact, the um, the Masked Singer wraps up on Monday evening. Gee, they've certainly had their challenges this season. The, the, they, they, um, they all went, they filmed in Melbourne, they all did the quarantines. 
and they got as far as the finale before the whole thing was shut down because some people tested positive to COVID-19 and they had to go through another um, um, another yeah. sort of another lockdown, yeah. another two weeks quarantine, and they managed to film the finale, but they did it with um, people in studios in Sydney, people in studio in Melbourne, and then one of the judges in her hotel room in New Zealand, they still managed to do it somehow. Yeah, yeah, uh, crazy. And it looked like, it, it seems like uh, the people that caught it were the dancers too. You yeah. Know, it seems like yeah. that was something that spread through the dancers. So those dancers clearly weren't observing protocols when they were stretching or they were having a break because it looked like pretty much all of them had it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I had a quick chat to um, Stephen Tate, the executive producer, um, not that long ago, and he's, he's working on also The Amazing Race, which they're pretty confident of uh, getting away this year that will start filming. Sounds like it's going to be a celebration of Australia. So they, they think they'll get around a few states. They'll reveal a little bit later in the year how successful they've been trying to get into as many states as they want to. And um, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here who we revealed won't be much live this year. They're going to have to, I think, pre-record virtually everything, but it will be recorded in Australia. And I think it will still go to air at the same time in early January for the network. Right. And when you say filming it, are they going back to Mwollombar, that site that they always used for the British version of I'm a Celebrity? Well, I haven't revealed it yet that yet, but you think that would be the um, most manageable option for them? Yeah. So, yeah, the locals will be thrilled, James. Sorry? The locals will be thrilled. I hear the people that live near that property, they, they just go absolutely berserk at the amount of vehicles, you know, that are going along at, you know, breakneck speed sometimes. You can imagine some running, get down to the servo and get us some batteries. And so off they go on those country roads that normally are pretty quiet. Yeah, the, some of the locals up there don't like it. But, yeah, look, the, the way that... Regions are being devastated with COVID at the moment. They may have a, a completely different approach to it now and say, hey, at least there's some people in the town spending money, so maybe it's a different viewpoint. Well, that's the other side to it. Yeah, there would be equally a lot of people up there who would benefit financially from the show being there. And yeah. as you say, given this year, um, maybe in a few more would be grateful for any employment opportunities or, or money that gets spent in the local community. Yeah. All right, look, anything else you want to leave us with? Anything else on your radar for the week? I'm super excited about uh, Ratchet starting on Netflix uh, September 16. This is uh, Sarah Paulson playing Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's oh, okay. Nest. Yep. So it's a prequel story um, and it's from Ryan Murphy. So, you know, it's either going to be dreadful or it's going to be fantastic even if it's dreadful it's still going to be worth watching because it's a ryan murphy production he you know this is a period piece uh i think it's set in the 1940s whatever take he's got on it it's going to be fascinating to see ratchet uh netflix september 16 he's very prolific isn't he uh, ryan murphy? yeah but just never stops and he's got a couple of kids and <laughs> a husband i don't know how he does it Incredible. Look, you mentioned Netflix and it reminds me, I'll leave you with this, um, Away, uh, a new series which I think has just gone up this week. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Hilary Swank plays the leader of um, the first manned expedition to Mars. Right. It's set a little bit in the future, not too far, I don't think. 
And it's, I've watched the first episode, um, uh, which is directed by Edward Zwick, who was, um, he's also one of the executive producers. He wasn't the creator of this season, of this series, but he was a co-creator of one of my favourites, 30-something, which was uh, oh, quite some time ago. Favorites. And, and I, I found that out, that his involvement after I'd watched that first episode, and it started to make sense that I'm not usually a sci-fi guy, but this was... Um, the pacing on this is just, it's lovely. It's, it's nice and slow. Right. Um, it's just incredible. It's, it's unlike much I've seen in sci-fi. Um, that was the vibe for 30-something. I mean, it, it, that was a slowed-down show. And I was very disappointed. They actually made a pilot for 30-something else that was going to focus on the kids of the original characters. Okay. Uh, and Ken Olin was coming back and uh, Patricia Wedig and Timothy Busfield and the network passed on it. And it was oh, like, don't tease me like that. Don't tell me there's going to be a, a new series of 30-something and then not deliver. How could you? Yeah, yeah, no, okay. But so, no, I definitely recommend uh, Away. Um, ten episodes on Netflix. Josh Charles is also in it. He yeah. plays um, Hilary Swank's husband. He was, of course, in The Good Wife. He had a role in The Loudest Voice too. So, but, yeah, it's fascinating. And just this this whole thing gets me into, I think, to, to get to Mars and back, you've got to be away for three years. So they play on that a lot in that first episode, sort of the, the impact it has on Hilary Swank's husband and her daughter and how they negotiated, to, to, you know, how they sort of decided it would be good for her to... To, to, to do this, she's a career astronaut and so is her husband, actually, but I won't give away any more spoilers. But, yeah, it's, it's really worth a look. Yeah. All right, look, uh, great talking to you, Andrew. Thanks, as always. You can read Andrew's columns every Friday up there on the, uh, in the Media Week uh, Morning Report. They're also on the Media Week website. And you can catch all our podcasts on the... Um, they're all on the Podcast One platform. They're also up on the Media Week website as well. Great. And listen to that Rebecca Gibney one we did, Rebecca Gibney and Roger Simpson talking about Halifax. That was a great podcast. Yeah, look, and we also should mention our, um, the Helen Reddy, about the Helen Reddy biography, yeah. I Am Woman. There's also a great podcast there. So really, too, it's really great getting able to speak to some of the creators of these series. So was so good. Two special editions you should definitely check out. Okay, thanks, Andrew. We'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, James. Have a great week.